Please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As my mother-in-law always said, I'm on the men's. That was her big line. She fought so many things, she was always on the men's. I mean, but she always had such a great outlook on life. And and I'm saying that. I'm on the men's. I'm doing well. I think I'm doing well. I'm not there yet, but I'm close. And Rebecca's put up with a lot with me and uh, been real good to me. Been very helpful to me. She's keeping me in my place. You know, the, the doctor told me, said, uh, now that we've got you completely emasculated, <laughs> keep doing it. That's what she said. It was a she too. She just keep doing it. No, I'm pulling out of it soon. I'm getting resurrected very soon. And I and, she, and Rebecca's been very helpful to me to uh, keep me from doing things that ought to hurt me. You know that what marriage is about to to help not hurt, right? Yeah, I think uh, Adam and Eve. Oh, bro, Adam and Eve. One of the one of the reasons. Their marriage lasted. You know, think about that. They had a good, they apparently had a good marriage, you know. Well, think about why. I got to thinking about that, you know. He, he had it made. There was no other men for her to compare him to. Man, he had it made. And he also had it made because he didn't have to deal with a mother-in-law. Boy, how good is that? It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Anyway. You know, here's a compliment that just doesn't work well. When Adam tells his wife Eve, you know, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. (laughs) And then she says in like manner, you know, think about it. You're probably the smartest man I know. (laughs) But that's not saying much, is it? And then Adam, I don't know how smart he was, but Adam was sitting, legend goes, it's in those extra canonical books. You know, uh, legend says he was sitting on a hillside overlooking the Garden of Eden with his son Abel. And Abel's going, Dad, that that looks wonderful down there. You mean you really lived down there at one time? He said, yes, son, I did. He said, you mean that used to be your home? He said, yes. He said, what happened, Dad? Well, what did happen? He said, your mother ate us out of house and home. And she did. But you know what? He did. Right? Sadly, when it's all said and done, it's always a man's fault. All right. Ephesians 4. So we are still in Ephesians. Let's look at chapter 4. Verse 29 says, let no, doesn't say a little bit's okay. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That ought to be uh, a goal and an ambition for everything that comes out of your mouth is, is, is uh, ministering to people. Grace. It's benefiting them. It's enhancing their life and rather than hurting it 
and it's not corrupt. And he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so the theme, and especially toward the end of the chapter, is still on putting off and putting on, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And so, in, but by doing this, and in doing this, what's going to happen is your focus is going to be on the right thing, a person. It's a person, the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 said, To grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed under the day of redemption. So we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, which means we are protected by the Holy Spirit. We are kept by the Holy Spirit. It's the keeping power of Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit that keeps us saved. And then we are preserved all the way to what? The day of redemption. You know, so the day you get saved, there's a, you get sealed by the Holy Spirit. There's a sealing of the package that's going to be opened at the end. And, it, and, and basically, this is a proof of eternal security once again. It makes no sense. You're sealed under the day of redemption until you fall in sin. Until you blow it. Until you prove yourself unworthy. No, it's always about the power of Christ and the saving power of Christ. But not only that, the keeping power of the saving Christ. And so not only are we cut away from our flesh, spiritually circumcised, the Holy Spirit moves in and makes a new man that keeps... You couldn't have the Holy Spirit without this happening. And so it's an earnest. God puts a down payment on your redemption. It's the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you have that within you. Hopefully you have the witness within you. Like it says, it's the, it, it, it proves we're the children of God. You have this Spirit within you, Abba Father, that just cries out naturally like you would your own earthly father. It's a natural occurrence. I'm crying out to my Father. So what I'd like you to do tonight, we're going to consider our relationship to the Holy Spirit for just one lesson. And I want you to think about I want you to right now as we begin, consider Him. Is He in you? And if He is, start dealing with that in a more personal manner, realizing that the God of heaven dwells not only with you, but in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. And as we pray and do this, I want you to really ask the Lord to help you to get to know the Holy Spirit, as He knows you. Amen. Father in heaven, I ask that You'd bless as we have this lesson and consider that what the Bible teaches. Our relationship with the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, I want to say He's a person. It's not an entity. It's not some force as some people would say it is, that's in neuter form. It's just some tool that God uses to help people and to work throughout the earth. No, it's, He's a person. 
Turn over to John chapter 14 real fast and look at something. John in chapter 14, so when Jesus is telling the disciples, the, the, it's, it's a glorious news, but for them it was a tragic news because He's telling them, I'm leaving you. All right? I'm leaving you. I'm going back to the Father. And I've been wanting this since the day I was born. I want to go home. I want to be with the Father. And so sadness filled their hearts. And he said, why? Don't let sadness fill your heart. Because if I don't leave, I can't send you the Comforter. I cannot send the Holy Spirit down from heaven. I have to die, and then I have to rise from the dead and ascend into heaven, and I will not leave you comfortless, he said. Jesus is a Comforter. He said, I'm sending you a Comforter. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And what he's basically saying is I left you, or I will leave you, so I can be with you. You know how many people were fighting over Jesus' attention and presence uh, throughout all of His life? The throngs of people that were fighting to even get one word in? He left so all of us could have not only just a part of Him, but we can all have all of Him. And it's exclusive. You and Him. Me and my God. Jesus made that possible by sending the Holy Spirit. So He says in verse 16, I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter. See, Jesus was the first comforter. That He may abide with you forever. See that word, He? He's a He. God the Father is a He. Jesus is the He. And the Holy Spirit is a He because it's the Godhead. They're all the same God in three persons, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth what? Him not. He's a he. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The he. So, you can know him and he can know you because the Comforter has come. And so when you receive Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the Lord takes up residence within your very body and your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. And technically, your body becomes the house of God. And your temple. And He sits and lives in you. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 7. And what we're going to do tonight, since we're looking at the personage of Christ, of, of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, I want to introduce him to you, and, and I, you know this, but I want you to really consider about it because he's a person. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has a personality because he's a, he's a person? And you can relate to him. You can draw near to him. He can draw near to you. You can have a, a relationship with him like you never dreamed. He can draw near to you or he can withdraw from you. He's the Holy Spirit. And so, I want you to see this. He has feelings. Hey, where did our feelings come from? Do you think we got those feelings when Adam sinned and took of the fruit? No, those, can't, those were already there. Why? We're made in the image of God. The feeling and the emotion was already there. It's always there. It's what makes you an individual by one thing, but it also what makes you a person. Well, the Holy Spirit. Same thing. So in Acts chapter 7, 
What we're going to do here is look at four things that, you, that people can do against the Holy Spirit. Okay? Against Him. To violate Him. Alright, so let's look at this. Acts chapter 7, verse... This is Stephen preaching, and this is one of the uh, like ultimatums to Israel. Are you going to receive Jesus or not? And Jesus had been risen from the dead for a good while now and already ascended to heaven. And it was a proven fact. And God was working in Israel and thousands getting saved. Rulers uh, weren't getting it. And they were rejecting it. And so he tells them the most amazing thing after he preaches a history of Israel. Basically the history of the nation to them. And then when he gets to 51, he says, You stiff neck, you uncircumcised and hardened ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. He says, you, he doesn't just say, he's not saying, hey, you resisted the Holy Ghost just now. You know what he said? You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. And you do always resist Him. So the first thing men can do is to resist Him. Now, uh, like I just said, they always did it. Their fathers did it. It was inherited. I mean, it was a family trait. We are rejecting the Spirit of the living God. So that word resist Him, it means to oppose it doesn't mean just to, eh, I'll, I will not accept that. I'll let that go. Hey, that was, sounds like a pretty good deal, but I think I'll pass. That's not what it's saying. They opposed Him. It really means to side against the Holy Ghost. Like an opposing team. Basically, in, in sports, I'm setting up against you, and I'm going to oppose you, and I'm going to work to keep you from moving forward. And that's what these men of Israel did to the very Holy Spirit of God. They resisted Him. So it's a deliberate rejection. It's not just an unawareness. Hey, I was ignorant. I didn't know. They rejected deliberately of His existence and of His influence. It was a choice they made to be opposite. And so was Stephen right or not? You know, he tells them, you always do this. You resist the moving of the Holy Spirit on you, the Holy Ghost in this particular... And was he right? Well, I think so. He told them they're stiff-necked. I mean, they're not bending for anybody. Right? He basically told them they're not willing to hear or receive anything he brings. And they're, and they're going to take it so far, they're going to take action against it and persecute him. And what did they do? They took him outside of town and, and stoned him to death. That's, their, that's how they, they uh, after being told their condition, they said, well, let's just finish it right because we are resisting the Holy Ghost. Now, have you ever been soul winning, witnessing to someone, and there's always somebody hanging around that's just opposing? They, I mean, and they're, they're, they're doing their best. This fellow might be really listening. This guy over here knows this one's listening. He's already chosen in his heart. He's resisting, and he's going to stop and try to get him to resist too. I've, I've witnessed that so many times. And, and it, becomes a, a, it becomes a tug of war. Who are you going to listen to? Me, the devil, or the, or the Word of God coming out of my mouth, and the Spirit moving to you? Who are you going to listen to? You know, they're guilty. Uh, I had one particular case. I don't have a lot of time on this, but I was about... 
oh, five, six years ago, soul winning in your valley, and I was talking to a woman out in the middle of the street. And she, her, uh, there was somebody in the car in the driveway waiting and getting upset because I detained her. And I was out here talking to this lady, and I could hear this man in the car just really railing, saying, tell him to leave. Get rid of that guy. You know, and, and we're talking, and I'm, I'm trying to get her to understand. And I talked to her before, and I was trying to win her to the Lord. And this man in there was belligerent, started cussing, started telling her, let's go right now, started hitting the, hitting the window. I said, can you hold on just a minute? And I walked up there. I said, i got to talk to this fella. And I walked up to the car, and I looked in, and it was a dainty little woman. And I said, well, that's not adding up. I said, well, just let me finish. I'm almost done. Now let me finish. And I said, will you please? And I walked back over to the lady, and it kicked in again. And she said, that, that, uh, that girl in there, that woman has a, a spirit in her, and his name's the otter. It's a man in her body. And I said, yeah, I can tell. And he kept doing it. And I said, all right. So I walked back over to him, and I just said, I looked at him. I said, you're going to quit right now. You're going to stop. I'm talking about Christ. You be quiet. It looked at me, and it listened. It never said another word. He was being a resistor. The old otter. Crazy stuff goes on out there. It actually, then what they do? They gnashed upon him. They pushed him out of town, and they stoned him with stones. That's hardcore resisting, is it not? So turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. You know, it actually has the uh, connotation of flying away from the situation as quickly as you can. You know how it is. You meet somebody, you, 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 you're in which one? Walmart or H-E-B? Which one? And you're walking, uh, Hebrews 10. You're in Walmart or H-E-B and, you're wa and you see somebody coming down the aisle and they don't see you yet. And so what are you going to do? You're going to go meet him or are you going to fly away? <laughs> I'm going to cut down that aisle and miss him. That's what people do to the Spirit of God. All right? Hebrew, don't tell me you've never been guilty of that one. Hey, it's not guilt. It's probably called wisdom. All right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Now let's look at verse 28. He says, He that despised Moses died without mercy under two or three witnesses. I mean, we're talking cut and dry law. You break the law, you're suffering the punishment. Oh, but grace comes. Grace is all about love and mercy, right? And it is. But look what he says. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who had trodden underfoot the Son of God and had counted the blood of the covenant whereby he was sanctified an unholy thing. And he finishes it off by, and done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So the first thing they can do, they can resist the Holy Spirit. And the second thing they can do is do despite to. I'm just going to keep it biblical here. They do despite to the very Spirit of God. Now what that means is, is they're going to insult Him. They're going to insult Him. You ever had your feelings hurt somebody insulting you? You had feelings. Did you know they can do that to God? Okay, so they, it can be insult, and what they do is they take a fixed position against Him. 
And then they pull out, a, they use it as a weapon against the very Spirit of God to the point where they exercise violence on it. You know, and I'm thinking about this verse and I'm going, if this doesn't reveal uh, the wickedness of humanity, the three points they do. Because number one, it says, they trodden underfoot the Son of God. Can it get any worse than that? They run, they, they trample over Jesus Christ trying to run over Him or run away. And then what does it do? They count the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. Jesus' very blood is unholy and dirty and unworthy for them. How interesting it is, it says that those that were sanctified, you know, He, he died and sanctified all people if they believed. Ever, the atonement is for all. We know that. But some people are just going to outright do this to it. Their outright rejection is like running Jesus over and looking at His blood as filthy and then do despite to the Spirit of grace. They want no part of it whatsoever. And then you can see, this is why uh, verse 30, we know Him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto Me, I will uh, recompense. You can see now, if you, if you see what people do to God's Spirit when He's working and they reject, how God could send the sore punishment. How much sore punishment? You know, Moses' law, they died under two or three witnesses. You do this to God's Son and God's Spirit. How much sore punishment will there be? Why? You hurt, you ever heard said that to anybody? You really hurt my feelings. This goes way beyond hurting God's feelings, doesn't it? This go, this become, you're saying I'm an enemy of God. And you would not only think about how, how upset the Lord could be. They are rejecting His love gift of salvation of his, and His wonderful Son. The wonderful, blessed Son of God. They reject Him. And they hate the very blood that could cleanse them of their sin and the Spirit of God that could give them eternal life. They want no part of it. That's why Jesus said, it's like casting your pearls before swine. They're going to they're gonna, Trodden them over and rend you. Now, uh, now these are two things you can do against the Holy Spirit. Saved people don't do this. Christians cannot do this. Okay? This is, this is what lost people can do. Now you have some people, they're going to they're gonna buck it a little, kick against the pricks. They're going to contemplate it. They're going to hold to their sin. The, 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 the Spirit, it just hasn't come together for them to get born again yet. <clears throat> and I think, biblically, if you kick against the pricks, you're going to end up getting saved. Everybody that kicked the pricks, biblically, got saved later. They did, the timing wasn't right. That's between them and God. But if they gnash on their teeth, you know, it says, some people get pricked in their heart and some people get cut to the heart. Right? Those that get pricked in their heart, they're getting awakened to, to uh, an enlightenment. They're going to probably get saved. Those that get cut to the heart are going to get cut off, like it says in Philippians 3, the concision. Cut away from God. Because why? They resisted the Holy Spirit. They did despite to the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're not guilty of that. But there are two things we are going to be guilty of if we don't watch it. So go back to Ephesians. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
1 Thessalonians 5, two offenses that the Christian can commit against the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see it this way. You're causing hurt feelings to God. You say, the Lord's God of heaven. He's controlling. Hey, it's just, it's personal. It's personal. Two offenses that can really cause damage to the Lord. Hey, and I want you to think about it this way. This is what I'm really trying to get you to understand. Did you know God is sensitive to just like we are? We're made in His image. God's very sensitive. He's, he's very sensitive to where He can hear and pick and, and understand things very quickly. He's God. Sensitive to our needs. Right? We know. I really believe that. The Lord's very sensitive to my needs and, and uh, not, not dull or hardened towards my needs. He's very sensitive to my needs. He knows. And the Bible says He even intercedes for me with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Lord knows me. Well, He's also sensitive in how you uh, relate to Him. Alright, so let's look at this. First Thessalonians, and I'm running out of time already. First Thessalonians 5.19. A great long verse. You ought to memorize this one. Quench not the Holy Spirit. So the first one is quench the Spirit. You know you can quench the Holy Spirit of God. Paul's telling this to Christians. And he's saying don't be guilty of this. So to quench it means to extinguish the fire. To put out, to pull out an, extin an extinguisher to put the fire out. You know, we say, it'd be almost like, hey, don't rain on my parade. Has anybody ever done that to you? Or have you ever been to a parade and one guy, you got rained out? That's extinguishing the fun, right? That's extinguishing the merriment of the atmosphere. God's saying, don't you dare extinguish the Spirit of God when He's working in your life. You know, because Christians can hinder the very work of God in their life. Because it's our choice. Holy Spirit moves. He's done it with you many times. And, and does His work. And, and I mean, He's doing a tremendous work. He's maybe comforting you. He may be uh, guiding you into all truth. You're learning the truth. You're understanding the Bible. You're growing in grace. He's leading you into paths of righteousness in the things that you ought to be